Welcome to One Step Ahead. Technological innovation and the need to live more sustainably are profoundly reshaping how we travel, work and play. In this podcast, business leaders and industry disruptors break down how they're adapting to these trends, preparing for what's next and helping to build a brighter future for our planet. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Hello, I'm Libby Potter, and in this episode of One Step Ahead, we'll be exploring the future of manufacturing. We'll learn how groundbreaking techniques such as 3D printing and digitally enabled manufacturing are disrupting supply chains and manufacturing processes across industries, from aerospace to medical to automotive. As we're about to find out, these advanced technologies open up entirely new possibilities in the efficient design, prototyping and large-scale production of various parts. We'll also dig into their potential for more sustainable end products. Robert Harrison is a professor of automation systems and head of the Digital Technologies Directorate at Warwick Manufacturing Group. He outlines some of the technologies defining this current era of digitalization. Industry 4.0 relates to you know, the digitalization of systems, particularly in the manufacturing sector, and that relates to being able to link machines and systems together via digital technologies or, or using new types of digital systems like additive manufacture, for example. In the factory context, I think things like 5G, more configurable manufacturing facilities which can make all different types of products. There's the context of like factory in a box where you can you can move the factory around. It's scalable by replication and so on. If you look at Industry 4 as it will impact more broadly, then you've got electrification as a major thing. You know, being able to have electric planes, hydrogen fuel cells and, and other technologies like that, they, they all tend to be new technologies that being built are built in the context of a digital connectivity. So you can monitor the vehicle while it's running, you can optimise its behaviour, you can provide different engineering services and, and that can link all the way through the supply chain and to the energy provider and to the manufacturer and so on. He goes on to explain how digital versions can be used to test out manufacturing processes before they're created. There's the physical world and also there's the digital world where there's interplay and you want to predict what's going to happen and, and so on. And so that comes to simulation modelling. So you have a, a simulation model of the physical system and uh, the term digital twins is often used nowadays as a, you know, there's hype around it, but essentially it's having a, a digital representation of your physical system and being able then to relate the two, predict the behaviour, try things out in the digital world, which is obviously safer. That was Professor Robert Harrison of the Warwick Manufacturing Group. One of the key developments revolutionising manufacturing is 3D printing. To help us understand how this is accelerating the manufacturing process, we're joined by Robert Bodor, CEO at Proto Labs, and Björn Klaas, Vice President and Managing Director at Proto Labs Europe. Hello and welcome. Firstly, this is a whole new sector for me, um, a whole new world, in fact. And I wanted to ask you if you could give me a bit of an overview about where we are in the so-called fourth industrial revolution or Industry 4.0 and how, if in any way, has the pandemic affected the sort of evolution of that sector? You know, manufacturing 4.0 or the fourth industrial revolution, this goes by a lot of names. 
Um, ultimately, as we think about it, this is really about the digitalization of manufacturing. And it's a trend that's been going on for many years. And, you know, as I think about it, there are really two key thrusts. There's kind of the front end of that, which is about uh, e-commerce and using the Internet for transactions uh, between businesses. And then um, there's the back end of that, which is really about the transformation of the manufacturing process and incorporating Internet technologies, uh, industrial IoT devices uh, at, you know, at throughout the, the manufacturing process and um, and uh, and in other areas within the network uh, to uh, capture data, right? Often referred to as big data because there's there's a lot of information there, and wrapping learning around it, such that we can actually transform how we do manufacturing uh, in the presence of this you know more intelligent system. And so those are kind of the two elements of the digitalization of manufacturing. That's a trend that's been going on for some time that's really picked up speed now recently. And you talked about the, the pandemic and the impact of that. You know, I think this this has caused the shock to the supply chain that's probably the greatest that, you know, we've had in a generation. And um, on, the, on the front end of that, I think the big impact that we've seen, there was an article that McKinsey and company published uh, last year uh, that predicted that as a result of the pandemic, uh, the B2B use of e-commerce to transact uh, has increased uh, dramatically. In fact, they, they believe that it, it uh, sped up the adoption by three to four years versus what the trend had been. Bien, could you give me a sense of how Proto Labs fits into this new industrial revolution? Like, how how is things? Why did you start Proto Labs, or why did it evolve, and how does it fit into the kind of wider picture? The evolution around Proto Labs is exactly around what Rob said: um, digitalizing front end and also the manufacturing process behind that. And the idea goes back to twenty years, and I think we talk about that later a little bit more. In exactly doing that, trying to um, yeah, improve the process of and the, and the speed of how we get to a part fast. And this, the the nature of of it was then um, to digitalize the process and not only the manufacturing but also the design in the first place. And that is basically the cradle where we are coming from. And we have been um, evolving in that direction for over twenty years now. Um, and what Rob already said, um, the front end digitalization is something which a broader market has now been recognized and realized in various market segments. Um, while the back end and the manufacturing process digitalization is something which from my perspective came a little bit newer into the into the world let's say in the last century the last decade and has been particularly fueled by the desire yeah to reduce um, potentially non-reoccurring engineering costs or take cost out of the system and make it faster. Protolabs is part and parcel of that. And I would claim that um, Protolabs has been yeah, spearheading this development in terms for some for, for some certain services, which are predominantly for prototyping and small lot manufacturing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I could just add, you know, Protolabs was a real uh, leader in, in the digital space, right? As, as Bjorn said, founded two decades ago with the mission of manufacturing injection molds and molded parts in days, targeting, you know, prototype applications and engineers. Uh, but the way we did that was by reinventing the manufacturing process. 
combining the physical manufacturing process with software technology, with internet technology, which was brand new at that time, and automating the process of going from a CAD file to making first parts very, very quickly within a, a day uh, by removing a lot of the waste. And the CAD5 is the design, yeah, the computer Yeah, the CAD, yeah. yes, the computer-aided design, uh, yeah. the, basically the, the designer shape uh, and design of the part that they need. Yeah, and by removing that waste. And so it was, it was very, um, I think, leading edge at that time, and we've continued to be a leader in the space uh, as, as a result. Björn, can you actually tell me what you do? I mean, the main sort of thrust of your business, I understand completely. Um, it's to digitize and revolutionize manufacturing. But how does that sort of present itself physically? Like, what would I see in a Protolabs factory? Is it a factory you call it? Oh, definitely it, it is. Um, so we are a manufacturer of um, prototypes and, and, and parts in different services, which is all digi digitally, I wouldn't even say enhanced, but digitally powered. So what we are doing is we take an idea from a customer, um, which he has, as Robert said already, as a CAD file, computer aid design. Um, it's uploaded in our systems, and then we basically also already start with a digital analysis of such a part. This part will then um, be to make it very simple analyzed, offered to the customer right in a digital manner as well. It will be automatically designed, sorry, converted into something machines can produce, if you like, which is called a G-code, um, and ultimately as well produced um, right away. Um, all and the travel is um, of this part is in a digital format, if you like. So we built a digital twin. This digital twin gets analyzed. It gets converted into machine-readable code. Um, this machine-readable code goes to a production process, and I'll talk about the production process probably later in more depth. And then it's basically produced, sent to the customer with limited human intervention. Rob, can you talk about those technologies a bit more um, for people that aren't familiar? I mean, there's things like CNC machining, 3D printing most of us know, um, and then there's the traditional injection molding sheet metal fabrication. So could you talk about the the way in which Protolabs uses them and what they are and a bit more contact, context pardon, around those services and, and who would use them, who would need them. Just as you uh, highlighted, we go to market in four different manufacturing services, injection molding, CNC machining, 3D printing and sheet metal fabrication. And so we can offer plastic and metal parts of a broad range uh, to our customers who are OEMs, manufacturers, companies who are making products. And throughout the life cycle, as they're making those products, they need to, you know, test, validate, prototype, and then bring to production uh, products of all kinds. Our largest segments are medical devices. We make a lot of products to support medical devices, uh, aerospace, automotive, um, computer electronics, and industrial equipment. Those are all large segments for us. So think about companies like uh, rocketry companies who are launching satellites into orbit. Think about companies who are making electric vehicles. Think about companies who are making drones. Think about companies who are making computer electronics projects, VR headsets, uh, medical devices of all kinds, um, including some implantables. But actually, for during COVID-19, uh, we made... 20 million parts or more 
for products that fought COVID-19, whether those were test kits or ventilators or respirators or face masks or, or those kinds of things. So it's a very broad range, and we serve a broad range of industries in the manufacture of these products. Bien, can you talk to me a bit about 3D printing and the sustainability aspect of it? I mean, is that something that um, you were aware of prior to entering this space, or is it something that you've had to kind of push as a, as a positive feature of it? Sustainability is very, very important to us. Um, and I'm not saying that we started developing sustainability in 3D printing. I think that would be overstretching it. But we are, um, at the core, we are looking for sustainability and long-term, long-term orientation. And I'm also happy to, uh, to inform you or also the, the listeners that we just received a sustainability award um, from the National Association of Manufacturers in North America for using more solar power and solar power uh, in our manufacturing capabilities and our manufacturing plant in Plymouth. Generally, sustainability is also part of all our services, and I will try to explain why that is better, because um, it enables our customers with the component of speed, which Rob already mentioned, um, to have virtual in- inventory, which means that um, the customers which approach us get faster and digitally manufactured parts. And for that reason, we provide a more reactive and a more flexible supply of parts to the customer. And hence, they don't need to keep inventories um, on site, which, which and this is requiring uh, requiring less space at their end. It mitigates the risk of obsolescence on their end and physically, at the end of the day, uses um, smaller space and therefore a smaller footprint with less CO2 footprint as well. For additive manufacturing, and they're answering your question more directly, 3D printing has in its nature and how it is, like what Rob said already, digitalized from the start. With um, the way it's built, like layer for layer for layer, it uses less material. And this less less material which is used is also then the parts which are not um, right away molten or um, um, condensed, if that makes sense. They are reusable or at least recyclable. So therefore the energy, the, the material uptake is much lower in additive manufacturing per se. But what is more, um, when you look at sustainability for 3D printing, is that if you design already with 3D printing in mind, and if you um, look at the capabilities from a geometric perspective, if that makes sense, 3D printing offers so many more features than conventional methods does does by, for example, having features like snap fits, um, clamps, living hinges um, come to mind. Can you explain what those things are? I've never heard of any of those. Yeah, I will try to. <laughs> so snap fits is literally, yeah, it's literally, you can produce parts which fit one to another and which are basically having hinges, which otherwise you couldn't, you couldn't produce, um, it, which basically they click to one another, uh, if, I, if I may say that that way. Um, the same is true for living hinges. You don't need to have a hinge and something where it goes in. It's just one part which is produced by that and you, it's movable, um, which you can do with 3D printing. Um, it is also internal slots, which is internal structures, which you can't produce by because you don't get to them. And with that, you can produce, for example, heat exchangers and things of that nature much more efficient. But what is more and what is um, always part and parcel of 3D printing is weight reduction. Because by having different geometries, you can do different weights and, and you can apply different uh, design criteria like bionics, where you learn from the nature and things of that, things of that nature. Um, and that will help in what is so-called value engineering. Value, value engineering is that you design the same functionality, but you just use a whole lot of less parts 
which are then printed and which are then digitalized um, manufactured. A couple of examples which come to mind here with weight reduction would, for example, be, I think Porsche just lately um, had announced that they printed a complete electric drive house, which is for an electric car. They basically take a casing where the motor is in, the gearbox is in, and it's all one part, where in former times it was multiple parts. They have better physical properties and they reduce the weight significantly. Another example, if you want one for the sustainability of 3D printing, is in aerospace. Um, aerospace engineers are always looking for reducing weight. And this is not by a self-purpose, but um, there's a figure which I would like to quote. Each kilo saved in a flying object or in a plane will reduce CO2 emission by 25 tons in their lifetime. So that's a significant reduction. And 3D printing basically enables them, the designers, to do exactly that. They reduce weight by sometimes up to 55%. And we find in aerospace the first flying parts now which are exactly doing that. So this is where the sustainability comes from. Rob, so software is at the core of uh, Protolab's DNA, I understand. And you recently acquired an online manufacturing platform called Hubs which was previously known apparently as 3D Hubs. Can you talk about that deal and answer the, the question, you know, why, why them and how does it complement your existing service? So first of all, you're 100% correct. Software is very much in our DNA, uh, as is manufacturing, right? And really what's uh, incredible about Protolabs is how we've combined uh, those two and magnified and amplified the power of manufacturing and the use cases where we can serve customers uh, by uh, providing, uh, by integrating software into our manufacturing process in a way that's very unique and that none others have done. And uh, we talk about that as the digital thread, our manufacturing digital thread. And with hubs, what we're doing is we're adding the power of this digital network to our internal digital thread. This is a very customer-centric strategy uh, to help expand the envelope and the use cases where we can serve our customers. So uh, what Hubs brings to us is a network of premium contract manufacturers who we can partner with and thereby create a broader set of offerings and capabilities that we can bring to our customers. These premium partners have specialties and capabilities that are outside of you know, what we can do in-house, right? That augment and complement our internal capabilities, which are already quite broad. Uh, and furthermore, they uh, uh, enable us to offer a broader selection of prices and lead times as well. So it's a really great complement uh, that really allows us to serve the customer end-to-end -end in much more of a one-stop uh, shop and, and more strategic partnership. So we're very excited about it. Bian, we've talked a little bit about, obviously, the, the type of uh, products you make, the type of companies that would be likely to want to use you. But what, in a sort of 2021 trend uh, perspective, are you making the most of right now? So what are the sort of the trending products that we would all be availing ourselves of uh, online? That is a proto lab specialty. The one is speed to market is vital. So it is the ones which have potentially a shorter life cycle because the customer would like to beat the competition um, and reduce their time to market and with that also get economic um, rewards for that. That's number one. Number two is products where there's a certain design risk. You will find Protolabs input as well because we allow with the dedication to speed 
a faster, yeah, more iterations in the same amount of time for our customers. So that is something which is important for them and using their trend into the market. And then the third one is where demand is volatile. Because there we can be we can be faster in supply, more reactive, more flexible, and also um, with that help the, the market players to significantly um, yeah, outbeat competition in that respect and have lower working capital. Expect us to be in those trends which need speed. That's basically what I would what I would shout at you. So and some of them are um, particularly around automotive, automotive um, in regards to um, autonomous and electric vehicles. Their time to market is currently really of essence. Design risks apply because there's many, many different um, vehicles are being tested, are being brought forward. And also volatility of demand is rather very imminent because of um, government um, impact and government um, subsidies for those um, vehicles and so on and so forth, which drive demand and which drive demand up faster than you can usually ramp. Recent studies in that market also show and they predict that for electric vehicles, um, when they approach a price point where they are equivalent to combustion engine vehicles, which is currently taking place all around Europe, um, and legislation also changing, for example, in the EU saying that that by 2035, um, the electric vehicle will be the only vehicle and not combustion vehicles should be allowed has a 20-fold growth for electric vehicle by 2025. So we will see more of that definitely um, coming forward and going forward. And additionally, we did just recently a study in which is called In Charge, and listeners can download that from our webpage if they like, around the European battery market. Same things apply. The customers were clearly clearly stating that the demand will increase in their eyes 14-fold by 2030. There is a high pressure on development of new technology around batteries with capacity, with different weights again, sustainability comes to mind and cost. And also reshoring um, is essential for them to um, to uh, avoid the dependencies of inter- international supply chains and which also means a repatriation of production. And another market which you will see products from us in is for me the aerospace market. Aerospace has been taking uh, a hit hit in COVID-19, definitely when it comes to um, aircrafts. But there's another market where time to to market, design risk and volatility demand starts really to play in. And this is the drones. Um, Drones for delivery and drones for air taxis sound still like music of the future. I think they are not. Um, because you will soon see the first drones landing in your yard and bringing you products which you ordered by, I don't know, I don't want to tell you any name there. Uh, don't say any, any name. Uh, there will be some. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> say the word. Don't say the word. <laughs> and additionally, also, I don't know whether the, the listeners knew that, that the first, air, the first air taxis were deployed in 2020 as trials already in some markets. So that is coming. And there you see a high pressure on innovation. And this high pressure of innovation means we need to compress the development cycle. This is definitely where our products and where our help to the customers is very vibrant and very helpful. So in other words, speed, efficiency, productivity, you have to have all three to get an edge these days in this fourth industrial revolution. Probably always did, but it's even more imperative now. Rob, what role does AI play in all of this? How can that help? AI is actually um, very important. Artificial intelligence and, you know, more broadly, machine learning, these are technologies uh, that have been around for decades. Um, You can think of them as um, a means to recognize patterns in data 
and make decisions based on that. In recent years, you know, these technologies have seen a wider adoption uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one is, as we've talked about, the trend in um, Industry 4.0 around big data and scalable computing power, right? Those have been important resources to help fuel it. And the other thing is that uh, the algorithms themselves uh, have improved and we can do things now that are called like deep learning uh, to gain better insights. And so with this adoption uh, of artificial intelligence and its applications in uh, manufacturing are actually uh, very compelling. You know, this is something that, you know, takes a lot of data in order to train these uh, AI algorithms. And that's one benefit that we've had. You know, we've been in business for over two decades. And, uh, and so we've got uh, just a, a tremendous uh, resource in terms of uh, in terms of our data that we've been used to analyze uh, to uh, to constantly improve and feed our AI algorithms. So Bjorn, in 2020 and 2021, um, we've already talked about what that did to the sort of forcing everybody online, it, those that weren't already, and also accelerating the adoption of new manufacturing methods as a result of this. Um, was that happening already uh, in, in Protolab's experience? Did COVID accelerate it or was it just more of a headwind? So COVID-19 hit obviously unprepared. We didn't prepare for it um, and uh, it hit the entire industry unprepared. But we saw lit literally in the, entire, in the entire markets a change in dynamics of how customers and how prospects also interact while we were already um, digitalized before that, we definitely see in the pandemic that it has accelerated the digital interaction between customers and suppliers um, in an e-commerce manner, um, which was before that, particularly in Europe, not very pronounced when it comes to B2B business. To give you a couple of examples, um, in, in particularly also in central regions, um, customers which were just not engaging with us, for example, in an e-commerce fashion, that has changed. And that has changed significantly because you see more and more businesses going now e-commerce, also in a B2B fashion. And this is a trend which will continue going forward. We did see as well through COVID a spike in, in demands, not in every market by, by no stretch of imagination, but particularly for those applications which were helping fighting COVID-19 at that point in time. And particularly in Q2 2020, um, we saw customers which are usually not designing for, for some segments, designing for segments which were helping um, COVID-19, be it ventilators, be it personal protection equipment, or be it also test kits for COVID-19, which are usually, which were all very compressed for time. There was not much time to develop, and we were even rewarded there at that time as essential business in the UK and I think also in the, in the US because we were helping to fight that pandemic. However, and this is the, the other side of the coin. Um, we also saw that um, we had did a survey at that time in April 2020 that more than 70% of our customers, which is the innovators, not the shop floor people, were working from home, which is, has been having an impact on, on their ability to innovate, I think. 58% um, of them have been, seeing, have been seeing at that time development projects to be delayed or even in parts being shelved. Um, 
and some even saw reduced reduction in funding. So you have both sides of the coin. While I strongly strongly suggest that the B2B component will continue, and now also coming out of the pandemic, you will see that innovation is king. I said that earlier in automotive, for example, and also in drones. It also had, of course, a detrimental effect on some businesses which were suffering more than others. So finally, we, we're running out of time, so I'm going to wrap up by asking both of you, I'll start with you, Björn. If you were to say one thing or provide one takeaway thought about the future of manufacturing, what would it be? My f- the future of manufacturing will be definitely digital. And you see that as a trend um, in, in all marketplaces. But this is not only for manufacturing. It is also applicable for adjacent um, subject matters. So it's the front end, like Rob said in the beginning. It's also the quality, which will be digitalized going forward. And the digitalization will go all the way through the supply chain. And um, yeah, digitalization is something which is accelerated by COVID-19. And Rob? Well, I would reiterate that this is a really exciting time to be in manufacturing. Uh, Customer adoption of digital solutions in their supply chains and and using e-commerce is at an all-time high, and it's growing. Uh, We are a digital native. Uh, We created the online custom parts manufacturing space over two decades ago. Uh, We are now the broadest digital manufacturing offer uh, for, for customers. And uh, we, that's enabled via a distributed manufacturing model. And, uh, and we believe we have the most profitable and sustainable model for digital parts in the industry. So it's a very exciting time and we're looking forward to continuing to lead in this space. And how should listeners keep up to speed with what you're doing? Well, check out our website at protolabs.com. Uh, we have a, a, an active blog as well and, um, and our press releases. Uh, check us out on LinkedIn and Facebook. Lots of ways. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to those drone taxis already. That's Rob <laughs> Bodor, President president and CEO, and Björn Klaas, Vice President and Managing Director of EMEA of Protolabs. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Libby. Thank you, Libby. Please rate, review and follow One Step Ahead wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Libby Potter. Thanks for listening. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Amundi ETF designates the ETF business of Amundi Asset Management. Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies does not in any way endorse or promote any companies or securities mentioned in this episode. The opinions expressed at the time of recording do not necessarily reflect the views of Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies and may vary from time to time.